Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. Amen. You want to today be in your Bibles in the book of Ezra. It was beautifully read. Thank you, Beryl. Thank you so much for reading that so wonderfully this morning. You want to be in Ezra, the book of Ezra. may not be a book you're used to going to, but as I every year read through the scriptures, I go from uh, this year, thanks to my wife and her influence, um, I decided to do the chronological Bible reading plan and read the story of, of scripture and, and really the, the story of the gospel is from Genesis to Revelation and just watch how it just unfolds as it happens. And it's exciting and it's epic. I encourage you to do so as well. But today you want to be in the book of Ezra. So I kind of came across that book last year. The Lord said we need to preach on Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. So I want to invite you to go to Ezra. Ezra is a small book. A very short book in your Bible. And where you find it in your Bible is actually not chronologically placed. So you may see it before the Psalms. I'm helping somebody today. You may see it before the Psalms, but this actually is the, the exile period when the Jews have been sent into Babylonian exile and are now, after 70 years, about to return. And this is where we are today. Now, before we dive into Ezra chapter 3, I want to share something with you that I've been observing that's been on my heart. And that is this, that, that as I look at what's happening in our world uh, right now in the midst of this pandemic, we don't know how many years from now someone may go back in the archives and watch this, but thank you for joining. And yes, we are in a global pandemic right now. Hopefully we got out of this and things are a little bit better. But as I'm looking at what's been happening, and I want to first state this. I want to, I want to let you know that I believe the heart of God aches for the suffering that's taking place. My heart aches for the suffering that's taking place. When I look at the death tolls, not just, in, not just nationally, but around the world, um, we don't know how many families are in a perpetual kind of state of grieving. There's different types of grieving and loss that people have experienced, loss of jobs, there's tension in homes because you're not normally around each other all the time, and you got to navigate that. Am, am I talking to anybody in the house or online? And as I've been watching this, uh, I know that the heart of God is, is, is aching for the planet, for his children, um, for the people of God. Uh, but at the same time, I want to acknowledge and state that I believe God in his providential, long-term wisdom has permitted this. And I want to tell you why. One of the things that I think it is doing, I think we are finding ourselves, particularly in our nation, in a national and in a, uh, in a specific sense, time of reckoning. I do believe that there is a lot of exposing that is happening during this time. I believe one of the things that's being exposed is some of the areas in the church that we need to come to grips with and grow. And I think one of the things, a critical thing, that this pandemic is exposing that God in his wisdom is allowing us a chance to kind of come to grips with is, is that I really believe, as I look on the landscape of the church, particularly in the West and in our nation, we have allowed the, the, the ugly, divisive spirit that characterizes the world to be permeated in our church. We've allowed the divisions of left and right politics, blue and red, traditional or contemporary, black and white, young and old, 
And we've allowed these things because that spirit that divides family is the spirit, is, is a demonic spirit. It is not of God. Now, there's a difference between the type of spirit that seeks to divide the body of Christ. Imagine that. But there is also the, the, the spirit that comes when you stand on, firmly on Jesus Christ and the truth of his word, right? right? Uh, th th there is the kind, of, the, the, the kind of division that takes place because you are standing with Jesus. And when you stand for something, right, you're going to buck up against something that may not be in the truth. Are, are you understanding the difference between those two? Ellen White describing Jesus as he came up out of the water, as he got baptized like Caleb did. It's not my note, so this is just the Holy Spirit at this point, right? Uh, said that it was as if it was the unsheathing of a sword when he came up out of the waters of baptism and began his public messianic ministry. Why? Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. But how many of you know that when you make a decision for or against the Prince of Peace, there's division? So I want to distinguish that type of division. You're in the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and therefore anyone that is not in the kingdom, there are principles by which you're going to be divided over. Am I right? But Jesus calls his children to love their enemies, to be good neighbors. And so we're not out there trying to be divisive. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The, the, the true follower of Jesus is flowing in the spirit of God and therefore is seeking to love everyone. But there is another spirit at work that takes advantage of difficulties that present themselves often. And I think too often what we've allowed ourselves to do, you want to talk about what is worldly? is when we allow a party divisive spirit to enter into the church and now we create an us and a them, not a family member. Do you disagree with your family member from time to time? Are they still your family? Do you still eat pizza or whatever you eat, vegan pizza? I'm reminded of Abraham Lincoln who was actually just quoting Jesus, the house divided against itself cannot stand. And you either rise together as family, even with all of your diversity and differences, or you fall together as fools. And here I see Jesus speaking to us through this book of Ezra. Because you, 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 what, what, what you need to understand is that God is seeking a people in this time in which we're living that are firmly rooted in Jesus Christ, that are, listen, are united in worship and mission. And here's what I hear the Spirit of God saying. I feel as if all through this pandemic, I'm hearing God say, look, until the church learns how to do this thing together, I'm shutting it down. Are you hearing me? Some people are looking at this shutdown right now in different lenses. But I want to tell you, God has permitted this to happen. Whether we want to go on whatever side of that, that looks like. The truth of the matter is, it is happening and God is sovereign. And so when you look at what is happening right now, is it possible, I want you just to just think process with me. Is it possible that God is saying, hey, I need you to take a moment and look at some things within and without that you should be influencing? for the kingdom of God. And what have you been putting your energy into? And is this the main thing that I'm calling you to put your energy into right now in this time? Are you hearing me? Could God in his divine wisdom and mercy yet, though at the same time in his divine full orb uh, focus of his, his emotions, take in the suffering of humanity, but at the same time look at what he is wanting his church to accomplish as partners along with him? And when we now look forward to when we come back together, are we going to come back with a different focus? Are we going to come back going, oh, I see now, God. This was painful, but you permitted it. And now, God, I see what you're really wanting to happen right now in the world. What you want to happen in the city of Vienna. What you want to happen in the DMV. What you want to happen around the world for the sake of the kingdom of God. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the book of Joel. I went through that book just yesterday. And God, in a similar time, 
called for a fast through the prophet Joel, called for the, for the spiritual leaders, called for the body, uh, the, 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 the people of God at that time, and said, you need now to humble yourself and you need to pray and seek my face. And then only after that does he start to say, I want to lavish you with my love and I want to pour out restoration on you and times of refreshing, right? I'm going to cause the kingdom of God to rise and the Messiah will come and all those wonderful rich promises. But first God says, repent. You're going in the wrong direction. And, and I'm, I've come to discover that the word repent really was just a military term in the time of Christ uh, and even in the time prior to Christ. And it was just saying turn around. This is an about face, right? You're going in one direction. It may not have been that you're, it was your intention, but you're, just, you're there. You wandered, whatever it is. And he's just saying, I want you to go from destruction to life, from darkness to light. From selfishness to unselfishness. Turn around, face my grace, and let me lavish it on you. So it's a good term. I now, when God pricks my heart and I need to repent, I say, God, oh, wow, thank you though. <laughs> thank you because I want to continue in your grace. I want to grow in grace. It's a good news message when God says turn. Because there's so much better I have for you. There's so much more I want for you. And I hear the heart of God right now as a pastor. I just got to be honest with you as my, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I hear the heart of God right now. Your Bible should be speaking very loudly in our, in our moment that we're in right now. But here's what I want to show you. In the book of Ezra, what you have is the people of God. They've been in exile now, 70 years of exile. And God said at the end of that 70 years, I promise I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to gather you back together. And here God has moved in a powerful way. The Jewish exiles who have been feeling like, oh God, maybe you've abandoned us. God, maybe we sinned. We went too far. We were caught up in idolatry. We were caught up in selfishness. We were caught up in oppression. We were caught up in injustice. But, 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 but God, you did say that after 70 years we can come back. And then in 70 years you can almost just hear that you can almost hear the rejoicing breaking through in the exile camps of Israel. Oh, King Cyrus has just announced that we can go back and rebuild, and he's funding it. Uh, church is reopening. You hearing this? And now they're coming back. <laughs> right? They're coming back. What's going to be their focus now? What did they learn through the experience? As they come back now, uh, even though the Bible describes there in Ezra chapter 3, if you're reading in the first few verses of it, they're coming back, but they have mixed emotions. They're excited. There's anticipation. Oh my goodness, we get to rebuild and go back to the spot where Solomon's glorious temple was. And as they're coming back, they're, they're there and, they're, and, 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 and they're, they're a little bit anxious and a little bit afraid because there's the strangers that have been living with the, the foreign excuse me, the foreigners that have been living there in the, in the, in the old area of Jerusalem there and, there and the surrounding area and they're, they're apprehensive but they're looking forward with, a, with, with, with hope to a brighter future. There's a new beginning. You also need to understand that the return of the exiles in a sense is a communication from God of forgiveness. A communication from God, a word, of, a word from the Lord of, of restoration. God is saying, I'm making all things new. Whatever was happening before, wherever there was unfaithfulness before, it's under, prophetically speaking, because the Messiah had not yet come and been crucified, it's under the blood. My compassion has been extended to you. My love, I just can't hold it back. And I want to bring you back and let's just do this thing all over again. The building is now being rebuilt. The, the altar gets rebuilt. This is the focus now. The foundation, as we're about to see, is built. And as that's happening, uh, they, they're caught up in the moment. God has forgiven us. There is grace. We have learned. It was 70 years of learning. But, oh, God, now thank you. You fulfilled your word. And what you really discover is that, I'm getting ahead of myself, the temple is a physical structure that daily illustrated the, the redemptive work embodied in Messiah. So in essence, what you have is an experience, a fresh experience of the gospel unfolding here. Come with me to verse 10. Come with me to verse 10. I'm getting happy already. I got to calm it down just a little bit. Not too soon, CJ. 
Here we go, verse 10. The Bible says this, when the builders, when the builders, they completed the foundation. Everybody say the foundation. The foundation, the foundation. When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites, descendants of Asaph, clashed their symbols. You must, uh, I need to park there and know that when you read the Psalms, Asaph is one of the authors of many of the Psalms, right? Working together, even receiving the gift uh, through the Holy Spirit, prophetically. Receiving the same gift that you see uh, uh, manifested in David as he writes a lot of these songs, even prophetically, looking forward to Messiah. Okay, that's Asaph. These are the descendants of Asaph. They clashed their symbols to praise the Lord as we did today, just as King David had prescribed. Verse 11. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord, and we sang it today. It was so beautifully done, Mike. Thank you. He is good. Oh, God. Help us to just bathe in that a little bit. He is good. And your translation, if you're reading maybe in the King James, the New King James, it says his mercy. That word in Hebrew is hesed. It's one of the most potent words in the Bible. I think one of the most powerful words in the Bible, particularly in, in, in Hebrew and Old Testament. And that actually is, in my translation, is why I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. His faithful love. That's mercy. His faithful love. Other translations, his steadfast love. It's over-the-top love. It's not doing that which is just required from a loving relationship. It's going abundantly way and above and beyond what was expected. It's what you see in the, in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. The father didn't have to do any of that. He could have just had his son just be a servant, teach him a lesson. And it's going way and above and beyond. And what they're singing is really just echoing what they sang back in the day in, the, in their praise book, in their hymn book with David. Because that's what they used to sing over and over and over again, their ancestors. The Lord is good. Yahweh is good, is what they're saying. His faithful love. Faithful love? When we were unfaithful? When we were uh, committing spiritual idolatry and adultery? And God had to put us in a 70-year timeout? Yeah. That kind of love. That kind of faithful love that doesn't give up on a relationship that's even hurting him. God hurts, you know. Over-the-top love endures, listen, forever. Is that the picture of God we have? He doesn't stop. That's the story of the Bible. That's what we see manifested in Jesus. God's love is faithful. He's not going to stop. You might stop, but he's not going to stop. And he's hoping his unstoppable, over-the-top, faithful love will so penetrate your heart that you will rest in the grace of Christ and be redeemed and be with him forever throughout eternity. That's what they're singing about. That's what they're praising God about. That's what they're experiencing. The, the, the verse continues on. It says, Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord because the foundation. Everybody, one more time, say foundation foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. I want you just to pause for a second. Let that sink in. Understand, take notice, they're just praising God for the foundation. <laughs> they built the altar, and they built the foundation on the old site of Solomon's temple where the Shekinah glory in the most holy place, the presence of God was. The whole, by the way, whenever you see the temple as you read scripture, I want three things to jump out to you immediately. It's telling you three things about God. Number one, that God gives you the gift of salvation. Immediately, you just when you see temple, think gift of salvation. Gift of salvation, right? That's the first thing. Second thing, when you see the temple in the Bible, what does it tell you about God? His holy presence is among his people. God with us, right? Okay, and then the other thing is his faithful love, has said. So the commandments that are in the ark, in the most holy place, is communicating. It's just a summary of the kind of God you serve. Faithful, over the top. 
This has, a, this has all kind of gospel significance that will later be fulfilled in Christ, right? And they're experiencing in a practical sense a renewal of this gospel relationship. He has forgiven us. He wants us to be his people and represent him to the world. And now we just have the altar, the cross. And we have the foundation of the structure that Jesus will later say points to himself. Right? John chapter 2. Are you seeing this in, 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 its, full, in its ultimate fulfillment in Christ? They're, they're having an experience with Jesus and they cannot keep back the praise. The other thing I want you to understand is that they are using all kinds of instrumentation. Are you hearing that? To, re, to rejoice and to praise the Lord. The word rejoice, by the way, is a action word in the New Testament. Now, I, hear, I, know, I, I know I'm triggering somebody right now. So let me just pause parenthetically to say this. Rejoicing and the dancing that took place in the scripture was holy dancing. Let's not just, let, let's think through stuff. Let's not move it all the way to what we see in the club. You following me? This was a, the often done in a circle at Jewish weddings for eight days. It's holy. It, it was rejoicing in the Lord. Jesus did it. And so what I want you to understand is they're in the spirit of David, right? When the ark returned back to the temple. That they're in Jerusalem, rather. They're having an experience with Yahweh. He's been good to them. They can't keep back the praise. So get the, get the trumpets. Get, get, get the clashing cymbals. Are you hearing this? Because they understand that biblical worship and reverence is not merely silent. I want to say it again. Biblical, if you want to go with the Bible, worship is not merely silent. Will it involve silence from time to time? Are you so overcome by the goodness and the holiness of God that you just have to say, oh, oh, I'm in awe. I can't utter a word. Let me be silent right now. Yeah. What you also see in the Bible, which biblically is equally reverent, is rejoicing from a, a sincere heart that recognizes you've tasted of the goodness and the grace of God. You don't deserve it. If you don't rejoice, rocks are going to cry out, Jesus says. And so you get whatever you can find, instruments. They, the priests, they put on their best robe. I want to give God all that I have. I don't just worship him on a Sabbath morning. I don't just worship him with instruments. I worship him with my life. Because worship says, I love you supremely above any and everything else. That's worship. And it manifests in instruments of all kinds, guys. Come on. We need to be biblical here, family. Understand that the cultural tradition there is North Africa. Please, percussion is there. Trumpets, clashing is there. We have to mature as the body of Christ. And reject only one culture's way of worshiping the Lord. Because the gospel permeates all cultures. And puts grace and sanctification on it. And embraces it so that the goodness of God is revealed in all cultures. Yes. Don't be so, you will be surprised how the Indians, I should say the Native Americans, worship the Lord when we get to heaven. You'll be surprised how people from every nation try. Isn't this a part of the three angels' message? Tongue and people. It's being manifested here in this text. God's people have been restored, and they can't keep back the praise. And so they use everything that they can, and they say, God, your mercy, your faithful love endures forever. Old and young, the Bible says, are there. The Bible says there in verse 1, they come back with one unifying purpose. Are you hearing that? One unifying purpose. What is it? We want to get the altar constructed. Why? The altar points to forgiveness. Renewal of covenant relationship with Yahweh. The goodness of God is restored to my life, to us as a people. And so family, how do we create when we return, if, you're, if we're looking forward to when we return in a normal, somehow normal sense, we have to be asking ourselves the question, how do we, Lord God, help us, rebuild and recreate a place or an environment where united, intergenerational worship thrives? 
Did you hear what I just said? Where united, intergenerational worship thrives. Of all different flavors and diversity, that richness we're going to see in the kingdom of God, which is what Vienna is supposed to actually be witnessing to the world. Have you tasted of the goodness of God? Of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How does that authentically play out in your experience? Based on who you are, your culture, your upbringing, your age maybe. If we are going to do that, then we have to recognize that Jesus is the foundation of our praise. That's the first point. Jesus is the foundation of our praise. He is the emphasis of our praise. I was so blessed to hear the music that was coming from our young people, and I want to just pause and say I loved how there was a moment in the song where you went into Scripture, and you exhorted us through Scripture, and then we went back to singing the Word. We worshiped together, young and old, black and white, whatever culture and background you come from. And guys, family, this is only accomplished by people that have come to the foot of the cross. Notice, this is the first thing that they wanted to rebuild, the altar of sacrifice. The first thing you would see in the courtyard when you come to the sanctuary wilderness sanctuary of the temple it was pointing forward to the cross before you got to any other part of the structure on the holiest site follow, follow the holiest site there in Jerusalem where they built the foundation is where they broke out in shouts and where they had trumpets blasting and where they had clashing cymbals they used whatever they had to rejoice we are experiencing the gospel before it was ultimately fulfilled in Christ that's what was happening because Jesus is the emphasis. It's like when you eat an orange. How many of you, when you eat an orange, you like to just eat the skin, the, the orange peel, the rind of the orange? Is that what you like to do? You just peel that and you go, oh, nom, 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 nom. oh, that's just so good. How many of you have eaten an orange peel? Does anybody do that? No, that's the package that keeps the thing you really want to get to, right? How many of you like oranges? I love oranges. My daughter loves oranges. I don't know what's going on with Tommy. We're going to pray for him. He's going to get there. But Eden loves oranges. And, and what, you're, what you're wanting to get to, you want to get past the, the peel, right? You want to get to the fruit, the juicy goodness that's on the inside. Family, when we only focus on the forms of religion, we're eating an orange peel. That's not the thing. It wasn't about the building. It wasn't about the, the foundation. It wasn't about the actual physical altar. It's what it pointed to. Ultimately in Christ. Jesus said about the temple, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Clearly, as we understood later on, the commentator John is writing, he's talking about the temple of his body. Jesus was actually undermining and replacing the temple because the new covenant era had begun. And now, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, Christ in us, we corporately, Paul says, and individually are the temple. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. It's about Jesus. That's why they can say his, his mercy, his goodness endures forever. In their time, before it was ultimately fulfilled in Christ, they were tasting of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is the fruit. The love of God revealed in Jesus Christ is why people shout. I, I, you know, when I, when I get invited to speak for youth events or whatever, you know, we sometimes think like what really reaches young people is you got to have the lights and you got to have the social media and the marketing and the cool pastor. I don't even know if I'm that. And, and all this kind of stuff, right? That's as nice as, and I like that stuff. Don't get me wrong. There's a, there's a, the, 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 Paul says, I try to be all things to all people. So he, you, you want to be relevant, yes. You want to be able to speak the language of the culture. But that's still, listen, where, whether you want to go one, one flavor or another flavor, watch this. You're still talking about the orange peel. That's not the main attraction. The building, by the way, is not the main attraction. 11 o'clock or 10.40 on Sabbath morning is not the main attraction, by the way. It's really, actually, when we come together like this, it's the, it's the crescendo of the main attraction all week. Have you been walking with Jesus all week? Have you been tasting of Jesus all week? Has that been just oozing out in all of your relationships? 
That's why we come and we just, oh, we, oh, we can't keep it now. We've we got to celebrate on Sabbath. We're not working. So let's just rejoice. Let's pray. Let's encourage, right? Jesus is the foundation. That's why they're celebrating. That's why they're worshiping. You read it there in verse 1. Young, old, all there. One unifying purpose, Jesus. Jesus. The heartbeat of the Seventh-day Adventist movement is Jesus. It's his coming we're looking forward to. Why? Because he's the one that redeemed us. That's why we're looking forward to it. We're not scared if you're in Christ. You're sad by the suffering taking place. You look at the people that don't yet know Jesus and your heart yearns for them. That's our disposition. But you're also going, oh, the bridegroom is coming for his bride. Jesus is the emphasis and foundation of our praise. Something happens, though. And unfortunately, it happens too often. Look with me now in verse 11. The Bible also says, but many of the older priests, now mind you, we just read a moment ago that they put on their best robes and they were coming to celebrate the occasion. But listen, many of the older priests, Levites and other leaders who had seen, watch this, the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temples, not the building, just the foundation. You know, I meant to say this a moment ago. Sometimes we just need to praise God for the journey and not the destination. Don't reserve your praise until you get there, until you finish the project, until you're finally mature in this particular area of your life in Christ. Celebrate the victories along the way. They were praising God just for the foundation. Oh, we got the foundation. Oh, Agnes, get everybody on the team, get all the court, get all the singers, get the praise to everybody. We got to celebrate the foundation. What if you did that in marriage with your kids and their development and growth, with your profession? Jesus, you're so good. Your mercy endures forever. I see just this step. Ha, hallelujah. You're not at the destination yet, but I see the evidence that God is with me and that he's faithful. But here are the Levites, the older priests. They saw the first temple, it says. They wept aloud and when they, just when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. In verse 13, the joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard far in the distance. Now, heard by who, you might say? Well, the surrounding nations. The very people that, that, that God, through his people, through the gospel, is trying to reach. We're listening, and is the title of our message today, to joy and weeping? On this occasion? Joy? And weeping? That's very curious, isn't it? To people that have been forgiven, given a new start, a new fresh perspective of how to re-enter the mission of God in the world? Joy? And weeping? It says that the older leaders, the priests, and the Levites wept because they saw this just the foundation now. The project, these young whippersnappers that have come out of exile haven't even finished the ministry initiative, haven't finished the project, but they only saw their efforts and they wept. As the sweat is coming out, they just finished putting this new thing together that they're doing for the glory of the Lord that mirrors the old thing. And those that saw the old temple of Solomon, which was glorious, wept. Why are they weeping? Well, they're weeping because they may remember the glories of having an independent nation. And now they're under the rule of the Babylonians. The glories of Solomon and the wealth and the abundance that God gave during that time and how the Lord blessed with his physical manifestation of his presence that came into that temple and they may be comparing this foundation although it's not complete and they're going oh I remember I remember the old thing I used to experience 70 years ago and here we learn a critical lesson for us if we're going to move forward with the worship and mission of Jesus in a united intergenerational sense 
we have to stop crying over past preferences. Are we hearing this? We have to stop crying over past preferences. I have preferences. I'm not considered Gen Z or Millennium, even though I minister mainly to them, and I love them. They're amazing. I believe God is going to turn the world upside down through them for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But no way, shape, and form should my preferences hinder the work of God to understand. Souls are on the line based on what they have been called to do. What they have been gifted and wired by the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do. There are souls in jeopardy and dependent on what the Spirit is going to do through Gen Z and through the millennials. Woe to you if you weep and discourage that generation that is experiencing the grace of God and they just want to get into the flow of what you now are hopefully passing the baton on to them to do. Joy and weeping. Here's what we sometimes do in the church. And I'm speaking broadly and specifically. Let's just follow me for a second. I was in Atlanta um, when I was wrestling with the call to pastoral ministry. And I just, I'll never forget. I'll never forget this one time my wife and I were driving through a neighborhood and we were passing by a church building. And uh, I don't remember the denomination. I think I may know what it was. But uh, I'll never forget a big picket sign. You know what churches like to put signs or even we have evangelistic public meetings, you know. We put signs out. Um, many people are doing this now. They put some kind of flag, something to say, welcome to our worship experience. Are you looking for a church? Uh, welcome home. Um, something that as people that may know the Lord or many may not know the Lord will feel drawn, will feel welcomed. Uh, let me check this place out. Uh, uh, where we serve people, you know, something to say, hey, this is what we're about. This is how we want to represent Jesus to our community. And we drove past this one church and the sign, several of them surrounding the church and leading up to the church. Here's what it said. We sing old hymns. I'm not joking. That was real. It may still be there. What are they communicating to that community? What are they communicating to that community? Now, I understand we were in, the, in a place on what we would call the Bible Belt. But understand, a lot of people are culturally Christians. You know, biblical illiteracy is on the rise. Okay, so somebody may go, him? What, what is that? We sing also what they only sing, something that's old. I mean, you know, people may not always have a reference for what we're, our language. Okay, but, but what they're hearing is we value only that which took place generations ago and not that which may be manifesting through current generations. Now, please understand, your pastor, right? Uh, I am not saying here that, that, that there's not wisdom, right? Like, like Jesus wants us to do things decently and in order, right? Jesus wants us to do things that are going to uplift Jesus and draw hearts to him. But please understand, if those principles are in place, don't let your past preferences get in the way of the gospel. That's dangerous, actually. And when we put that forward, we're getting in the way of the Holy Spirit. I said that with all the love I can muster. We sometimes value our hymn books more than we value speaking in a way that ministers to this generation. Pastor Carlton Bird with Breath of Life, one of our NAD evangelistic ministries, says, and he was speaking several years ago. It was back in like in the, in maybe 2005, 2006. He says, and many churches have, and understand your pastor loves hymns. Don't, don't, I'm, I'm very eclectic, by the way, so it's very hard to box me in. If anybody is trying to box me in, don't even, don't even attempt. Okay, I have a lot of a variety of tastes, okay? But, 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 but watch this. What they did was they, they um, he said, many churches have held on and retained their hymns, Right? In, but, but at the same time, they have lost a generation. And you see, when I was up in Michigan at seminary, I went to several churches, and the majority of people had hair that may be salt and pepper like mine, or just white, which I think mine eventually just going to go straight white. And you go, where are all the 30-somethings and the 20-somethings? And maybe those teens that now have gone off to college, where are they? 
I look at the leadership many times in many of these. No one is raising up a Joshua. No one's discipling the next generation, handing over leadership at younger and younger ages with wisdom and responsibility. Sometimes I need to hear this. Am I serving and ministering in a way that says that, you know, really what I value that's not a central gospel issue is more important than what somebody else finds meaningful to, direct, to lead them to Christ? I remember for a long time, my wife and I used to have this debate. Online church, and this is before the pandemic, so follow the content. Online church versus in person. Um, listening to the Bible versus reading it from your actual print copy. And, and I mean, I used to just, I, I had a critical spirit. when I, I'm, just, I'm confessing my sins, right? And I used to say, Deej, yeah, all right, so you're listening to the Bible, that's cool, but how are you going to compare Scripture with Scripture, right? Here a little, there a little principle, precept upon pre, you got to highlight that thing and go, where, where cross-reference that bad boy. How are you going to do that while you're just listening to And that's what was feeding her soul in that moment. I've had to repent of that many times especially because of what she was going through in that moment in her life and she was holding on to Jesus because of my preferences, right? Crying over my preferences. The, 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 well, you know, um, many people would be blessed by, by a church that's speaking to them and they'll go online. They don't know Jesus. They're not Christians, but they'll go online and they'll watch. And, they'll, and I used to criticize, oh, yeah, but they, they're not in the building though, so that, that ain't real church. And mind you, I don't think ultimately the goal is still for everybody to just be online and kind of be islands out there just by ourselves. I don't think that's the ideal, but that's a bridge. Right? People, we, 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 that's just one way. There's television, radio. Aren't people being drawn to Jesus through that? Social media? Yeah. The devil's not the only one using that. Jesus is using it too. And I've allowed, in my, in my experience, the, my preferences to get in the way of someone receiving the gospel? Really? Joy and weeping? Here's why that's so, here's why that's so critical. It's critical because of the people that were listening afar off. And this is where I'm going to land before we get to the cross. I always go there. I want you to understand that people are listening, whether it's our worship, whatever we're rending on a Sabbath or during the week. People are watching. And are they going to see a mixture, as it said in the text, of joy and weeping? What witness is that? What kind of community is looking at the same experience, the same Jesus, and what is rejoicing, shouting loudly. We can hear it. We were about to join the celebration. And then there's weeping mixed with that. Could you imagine what that would have sounded like? Isn't that confusing? If someone doesn't have the context and doesn't understand why there's weeping and joy at the same time, how does that compromise our witness to Jesus? I'm not alone in this. Listen to what Auntie Ellen says. I'm, I'm really not. I'm, I can't even quote the whole thing. She has some very interesting counsel and some comments on this scene as she's commenting here in Patriarchs and Prophets. I'm just going to read two short little snippets. She says, the murmuring and complaining. By the way, this is Prophet, you want to look it up. Prophets and Kings, page 564. Page 564, here's what she says. The murmuring, and by the way, uh, if you're watching online, you're wondering why I'm quoting Ellen White. Ellen White is one of our co-founders, was just brilliantly used by the Holy Spirit in our church prophetically. And so I just want to just read something here that just, just, just adds depth to what we're basing our teaching on today, which is the Word of God. So here's what, here's what she's saying. She's saying, the murmuring and complaining and the unfavorable comparisons made had, watch this, a depressing influence on the minds of many and weakened the hands of the builders. The workmen were led to question whether they should proceed with the erection of a building that at the beginning was so freely criticized and was the cause of so much lamentation. Look at the next page, uh, page 
uh, uh, Prophets and Kings, page six, it's flipped to page six, 565. She says this, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be done here with this. She says, could those who failed to rejoice, did you hear that? Could those who failed to rejoice at the laying of the foundation stone of the temple have foreseen the results of their lack of faith on that day, they would have been appalled. Little did they realize the weight of their words of disapproval and disappointment. Little did they know how much their expressed dissatisfaction would delay the completion of the Lord's house. The work, the mission, the center of worship, all of that was hindered because that younger generation that had not seen the previous temple, they weren't in the HMS Richards evangelistic series with the voice of prophecy. They've heard about it, though. They heard about Solomon's temple, and they said, I want to be about that. I want to usher in Messiah. God has been faithful to us. We're experiencing the, the full prophetic fulfillment of the word. You've experienced it before, but now we're experiencing it afresh. God is arising amongst us, and he's with his people, and we just want to rejoice. And you're weeping? She says if they had foreseen the result of that weeping, they would have been appalled. Sometimes in our, in our moments of crying over past preferences, we're in, as some in my generation would say, in our feelings. Because I remember AY or MV, as some would say, or whatever the thing is. But understand, God is not married to methodology. Do you understand that? Just watch through the story of Scripture. I don't have time to go through it now. He's not married to a method. He has a vision, the kingdom of God, the reign of love. God with his people forever in the New Jerusalem. Adventists and people that are not yet a part of this movement, people from every walk of life, people that have not yet heard the gospel. He says, I need them saved in my kingdom. And so whatever the method is that exalts Jesus, that draws people to them and in their generation, through their collective or individual cultures, they actually respond to the gospel authentically and whoever, however they are. And whatever my preference is over here in North America, as a Jamaican American, that is a, that is a, uh, uh, Generation X needs to go, my methodology needs to go over here, and I need to say thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in Alaska. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in that school in Connecticut amongst those Gen Z students that have somehow received the love of God revealed through, revealed through Jesus Christ. And it's manifesting in a way that's just different from Mike's, but thank you, Jesus. I, the main thing is not my preference. It's Jesus. Oh, wait till you get to heaven. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Now, you're going to have a different character. God's going to work out our crying over past preferences and sanctify us. And so we're going to rejoice when we get there, right? We're not going to be like, oh, Lord, have mercy. They brought out that, and I can't believe they're using an iPad. We're not going to be doing that. But we're also going to go, wow, what in the world was I so hung up on back then? That person in the last five years of their life made a full and complete surrender to Jesus. And look at them. They're the loudest one up in here sitting closest to the Savior. What was I complaining about? That was a soul. You see the most important thing? God wants his children back. Lord, have mercy. I'm going to have to end on that right there. God wants his children back. The temple that they were rebuilding was pointing forward to Jesus, who was about to come. That was the main thing. That's what God wanted to get to the nations. This building was pointing to the work of Messiah, and I need this younger generation right now with the guidance and the wisdom and the mentorship of the older generation to unite in intergenerational worship. Add anything else you want to that. Gender, culture, ethnicity, united with one unifying purpose, as it says in verse 1. Have you seen, have you, have you, have you seen Jesus in your time with him in the morning? Have you, have you really looked at him? 
Have you seen him at the cross there being whipped? Have you seen him taking all of your mistakes that you made this week? Have you seen him absorb all of that? Have you seen him standing there hanging between heaven and earth and saying it's worth it? I don't care what their cultural preference is. I see their soul. I must have them in my kingdom. I'm not getting off this cross. Caleb's got to be there. I've got to be there with them. And so I'm going all the way, Father. Why have you forsaken me? It's because he was, he was echoing the voice of all of our collective suffering. Even in the pandemic, his voice was articulating the suffering of humanity in that moment. And he's saying, God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Did God actually leave his son? The Bible says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, but he could not see his father because of our sin. Isaiah says your sin has separated you from God. The thick darkness of our sin that you committed, that the exiles returning committed, he could not see his father who was there, who was suffering with his son. All of that, my friend online, my family here was for you. You, author Max Lucado says, if Jesus had a refrigerator, if God the Father had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. That's the God that you serve. He loves you. He wants to come home. He wants to take you home. Show you his fridge with your picture on it. And he wants us to do it. And he wants us to share this in a united, intergenerational way. Thank you for listening to Living for Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend His reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.